Hello, everybody. It's Peter Ravella from the American Shoreline Podcast, back at the Florida Shore Beach Preservation Association meeting in Hutchinson Island, Florida. We're at the last day. It's wrapping up. And uh, one of the great things about coming to these conferences are the people who you get to meet and uh, the professionals and the experts that are uh, here. And I have to say, we're going to wrap up our coverage of the association meeting here with, I think, one of the interviews that I've really been looking forward to, uh, Mariah, Mariah McBride, uh, who is the project manager and sargasm specialist at Coastal Systems International. And Mariah, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I've been reading a lot this year about sargasm, and I thought, boy, I've got a chance to talk to one of the experts on the topic. <laughs> Because it's really phenomenal what's happening, and I don't think it's widely understood around the country. I think down here in Florida, I think people are pretty aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, introduce our audience around the country to this issue. Uh, what is sarcasm, and what is the concern with it? Sure. Okay. Well, there's a growing concern, and in the same light as there's a growing issue with it. Um, you probably have noticed sargassum on the beaches, you know, for decades, but in the last decade, there definitely has been an increase in the, you know, volumetric increase in the amount of sargassum that's washing up. Um, The seasonality is also increasing. So instead of having maybe six to eight months of uh, recovery time for your beach to be Mm -hmm. sargassum-less, now a lot of places in the Caribbean, for instance, have about one month. Wow. And so um, it's just starting to become much more costly for municipalities, for private resorts, for private stakeholders, um, those who are trying to clear it from even their homes that they use on Airbnb that they want to, you know, look um, nice to those who come to visit. So (laughs) anyways, what sargassum is, is a macroalgae. There you go. Let's do that part. It's it's a macroalgae. and just like a microalgae, like you hear a lot about the, the um, microalgae blooms, the red tide, yeah. it is a macroalgae, and that's why it looks larger when you, you hold it. You can mm-hmm. actually you know, see each piece of the sargassum. Um, and so just like a normal plant, because when you break it down into really what it truly is, it's a plant. And so plants need nutrients, plants need warmth, they need sunlight. And we are feeding our ocean all of that <laughs> and beyond. Right. We have a lot of nutrient loading that's happening from poorly uh, planned agricultural lands. Uh, a lot of nutrients outpouring through our river systems. And we've got, you know, basically fertilizer that's at such a heightened level with phosphorus and nitrogen nowadays. Um, all of that makes it into the ocean after a, a major rainstorm or even just um, just watering, uh, mm-hmm. just typical... Stormwater runoff. Exactly. Any type of runoff, it gets into the river systems and eventually makes it to our, to our ocean. And um, also the sea, you know, the, the surface waters of the ocean are warming. And so that actually creates... Uh, more capacity for the sargassum to grow vertically. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see a lot of the mats are sometimes three, four feet in, in depth. Whenever they yeah. actually land, um, their volume vertically is so much larger than hmm. it used to be because they have the capacity now 
because the surface waters are warming, so they can actually grow thicker now. I see. Yeah. So for the folks out on the West Coast who are familiar with bull kelp uh, and the kelp forests mm-hmm. along the mm-hmm. Pacific Coast, where you've got these huge kelp plants that may go down a hundred feet, where there's a hold fast, where the the kelp is secured to the bottom of yeah. the sea and then grows vertically. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of species. They generally have floats that buoyantly bring the plants yes. to the surface. All of that kind of thing. And then um, in tide pools, there's you know algae that are on the rocks in the west mm-hmm. coast and that kind of thing. Down here in Florida, what we're talking about with sargasm is a plant algae that is not connected to the bottom and isn't on a rock, but right. is a floating algae. Yes. And it and there is what is called the Sargasso Sea, which is, I, I really, you got to help our folks okay. and help me understand this. The Sargasso Sea, a region of the ocean, with a big gyre, it's sort of a, yeah. how, how, this okay. stuff lives in a certain part of the, of the Atlantic Ocean. Right, right. So um, just to take it back a little bit. Okay. So Sargassum, the macroalgae, is free-floating. Um, there's actually over a hundred different species of sargassum. There's oh, really? two though that are really primarily in the North Atlantic and the Caribbean region. That's sargassum fluitons and flar- and sargassum natons. Okay. Um, that's what you're going to see predominantly washing along the shoreline. And yes, it's free floating, unlike a lot of the other algal systems that we have. Um, it's actually a protected ecosystem huh. when it's out in the open ocean and, and hovering out there. There's miles and miles and miles of sargassum out there accumulated together in the North Atlantic right now. Huh. And that's what we call the Sargasso Sea. That has been there for, you know, yeah. all of historic time, basically. Okay. Um, that's why when you go back and you look at any record of people complaining about sargassum washing along the Gulf. Really? It's very common. It's been happening for decades really? and decades. Okay. Now, there's a smaller sargasso sea that actually has been forming within the last less than a decade. Hmm. And that's happening right off the coast of Brazil. And that's, that's from a lot of nutrient pollution that's coming from the Amazon River that's unloading right into that coastline of Brazil. Oh, my. And there's a lot of deforestation happening in right. Brazil um, right along that, the Amazon River. There's a lot of um, agricultural practices that are not, you know, heavy in terms of policy or, or uh, protection. Right. And so there's a lot of unregulated uh, instances that are happening along the Amazon River, okay. <laughs> allowing for the outpour of nutrients. So in the last decade, we've seen a bloom of sargassum in a place where it really never has been before. Oh my, I didn't, okay, you're yeah. really helping me so out. So there's now. a second, so, okay. so there's always been, you know, in terms of historic record that we can think of in the last hundred years, there's always been the Sargasso Sea in the North Atlantic since we can remember. When you say North Atlantic, define that sort of along the Atlantic seaboard from Florida up how far? Um, basically to the right of Florida. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. North Atlantic comparison to Brazil, but we're not talking about New England. These are, no, no, these are because not... it has to be warm enough. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so that's been the source for the Gulf for the, you know, the Florida region for the last several, several decades. Okay. There's a new source and that's, what's really attacking the Caribbean uh, islands right now. And there's a current that, um, unfortunately, perfectly travels along the coast of Brazil north towards the Caribbean islands, 
and given atmospheric conditions, it will break off massive um, strands of that that new Sargasso Sea that's forming. Okay. And that's what's carrying over onto the islands, and that's why it's really started in the last eight years to become a true issue for the Caribbean. Before, it really, like I said, it really wasn't an incredible issue for them, mm-hmm. and it's it's starting to become an exponential issue. They can't. Wow. We can't put a um, peak on this thing. Um, it's only growing from here. Is that right? Yeah. So that really helps me out because I've, in, in following this story on Coastal News mm-hmm. Today, I've been reading about these massive maps of this right. algae that are washing up on these pristine Caribbean beaches. Mm-hmm. And literally tons of it, and and yes. the, and daily, and it's yep. overwhelming the economy and the tourism, and it's really putting a damper on a lot of stuff. But you brought it back to the origin, really, which was the Amazon. And I had read that, and I thought, you know, that's just you know, I know the sargasm is in the Gulf of Mexico, it's up here in the U.S., but it's this new area. Mm-hmm. Uh, tropical waters are typically nutrient poor, right. but what's happening in Brazil, the deforestation and the expansion of agricultural production. Mm -hmm. Part of this, believe it or not, is tied to the trade war uh, that wheat and other uh, cash crops that the Mm -hmm. U.S. has typically exported are now being shifted to South America. The fires in Brazil this year are partly uh, agricultural land clearing practices. Mm -hmm. And all of that nutrients in those very rich tropical uh, jungles Mm -hmm. is now being released into the Amazon River, the largest river in the world, with huge discharges, bringing all of this incredible amount of nutrients into the Caribbean Sea and causing this explosion. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's, That's incredible. They've created the perfect ecosystem for Sargassum to thrive. And, and I'm glad you brought up the fires because even, you know, fires that we hear about um, happening in Africa and, and all of these wildfires, mm-hmm. they actually also contribute to Sargassum growth huh. because dust-blown nutrients is is widely common, especially with fires happening yeah. um, in, in Africa and, like you said, South America. So that is uh, also a source. CO2, actually, um, unfortunately, that's also a climate change factor that that helps ramp up the growth process of sargassum. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. higher CO2 levels dissolve CO2 in the upper water column. It, so there's a couple of things happening here that I think we I want to, our, our listeners to understand about the imbalances that we're creating. Right. A sudden massive influx to the uh, Amazon River of nutrients into these very, what we love about the Caribbean is the clear water. The clarity of the water is because it is nutrient poor and there's not a lot of stuff in it, but suddenly that's changing. Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, warm surface water and the depth of that warmth, and this is important, this is something I didn't understand. Um, the range of the plant, its ability to grow at four feet right. deep in the water is a temperature-regulated uh, aspect of this of this species of plant. Mm-hmm. So you end up with, as you said, a four-foot thick. Exactly. Because I've seen it, you know, when I was in Galveston, see it, we both went to Texas A&M in Galveston, Giga <laughs> Maggie's, uh, you know, sargasm would come on the beach and uh, out on the, in the Gulf off of Galveston. There would be a layer 
uh, sargasm occasionally, but it, it really was one sort of plant layer deep. Right. It was never two feet down. And but that's new. And that what you're saying there is that is a function of water temperature. Right. Wow, yeah. we are messing with this, aren't Ocean we? Ocean acidification, you know, uh, water temperatures, warming. Um, it really does. To me, sargassum is one of the um, in-your-face factors of climate change that we can look at today in this present day. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about sea level rise and we talk about climate change. It's, you know... For anyone that still uses global warming, yeah. it's climate change yeah, because yeah. there are some places that are getting colder. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is happening in front of our eyes. We can document it. We, ha- we have satellite imagery that's tracking it over the last, you know, several decades that it's a clear view of what's going on and how we're manipulating um, ecosystems in the ocean and even creating man-made ecosystems. In wow. fact, I've seen several articles now, especially articles coming out from the Caribbean, that have uh, titled this as a man-made natural disaster. Wow. Because it's costing them millions and millions of dollars a year yeah. to to even tr- attempt to mitigate this. There's no sustainable solution as of now. Wow. So well, I want to talk. I know you've got to take me right to the airport, so this is, you've got to cut this <laughs> because I would like this conversation to go as long as it needed to. But let's talk about what you're doing professionally because sure. the challenge of this stuff is the impact particularly in the Caribbean, of this massive influx of this floating algae just blanketing the beaches in the Caribbean. Uh, Tell us about where that's happening and what you're doing professionally. What are you being asked to do as a consultant? So that's essentially happening on all the islands in the Caribbean. It would be um, wrong of me to to try and point out Mm -hmm. an island where it's not happening because... It, even though there's a trend, an upward trend in it, you know, I could say that one island is clear as of right now, but in one month that could not be the case. So I don't okay. want to say that. It's a regional problem. It's a not regional a, not problem. Not specific to any particular locale. Absolutely. Okay. Just, just like red tide. Yeah, um, okay. And so every island is essentially touched by it in that region. Um, so what I'm doing with Coastal Systems International is talking with municipality representatives, with resort representatives on how we can look at their case-specific, location-specific problem mm-hmm. and solve it, solve it on a coastal scale. You know, mm-hmm. the, the true answer on a global scale would be to go and place, you know, heavy policy on nutrient right. fertilization and and yeah, deforestation and runoff and, and all of that. And manage the, the source. Right. But let's be realistic here. Yeah, let's be realistic. As of right now, we've got to face this on a shore, you know, scale, shoreline right. scale. Right. And so the one of the major problems they're having is that it is a protected ecosystem when it's out in the open ocean. And until you can use satellite imagery and actually kind of track it, which we are, you know, we're doing now. Okay. Um, when you can say that it's going to be a hazard, a natural hazard, or even a natural disaster for my region, my my shoreline, that's when you can step in and have the jurisdiction to do something about it. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it, it can't. Mm-hmm. You can't go out with a with a with a right. ship shrimping boat and just capture it all and and. Yeah, because you know, it's it's quite an important habitat. I mean, there's a lot of critters. Fifty species use this in the open ocean. Juvenile fish. Um, sea turtles lay eggs. That's where sargassum shrimp. I mean, there's exactly. all this. I, I, you know, I should have said this at the beginning, but if you're listening to the podcast and you're not driving, 
get on your computer and type in uh, sargasm, sargasm fish. well sargasm fish and sargasm in in, in the Caribbean oh, yeah. and look at some of the photography of what this is on yeah. the shoreline yeah. so as a professional I would assume that what you get into pretty quickly is to look at currents and current modeling yes. and, and depositional areas and what's bringing it to your area and where you can possibly but what are the solutions yeah. I mean is it all about intercepting it because Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you what do you do right. as a scientist? <laughs> so, so I can't uh, since I am a sargassum specialist, and everyone has started to know me as the sargassum lady. Uh-huh. That's kind of been my title at all of these conferences. Is that right? Okay, yes. great. Um, so I don't really know exactly how many other people have de- you know devoted years of their life towards sargassum seaweed. But I have, and so I can't give away everything okay, that right. we're working on. I understand. Um, but I will say that we're, me as a scientist and um, a project manager and, and specialist in this, we are really, really trying to promote looking at this as a case-by-case basis. You know, there is not, and that is one thing that I really want um, municipalities and even regional representatives to understand that there's not a one-size-fits-all solution for this. Yeah, There um, is not a Band-Aid that we can just put out there in the world and say, this will fix everyone's sargassum solution. It is a case-by-case um, right. scenario. That tailor-made. It's tailor-made, and that, that means that since there is not a sustainable solution yet, the booms are not working. That has been kind of a staple in sargassum mitigation. And, yeah, and people the, putting out a barrier that's floating on the water to try to keep it from reaching right. the shoreline. These boom systems and, and, and nets news. and stuff, that's it, all it's old no news. good, huh? No, it's old news. Okay. Um, so right now, we're trying to be very innovative. We're, we're trying to use um, the natural processes of sargassum. Hmm. You know, it's got a depth-time relation in terms of sinkage. Hmm. It, it has all of the... It has a density-time um, relationship. So we're trying to look at the hmm. scientific aspects of sargassum how, and how it works in nature yeah. and then work with nature Great. to divert or to um, use its own, you know, sinking mechanisms to take care of it before it hits the shoreline. Right. That is key. But where we have jurisdiction to do that. Because like I said, we can't just go out into the open ocean and sink it. So uh, somewhere along the line, people, I think, basically we've we've created a crop here, a massive crop, a Mm -hmm. floating algae crop. Um, It ends up in these massive uh, mats along the shoreline. Uh, Once it's there, you know, we can't eat it, right? It's not edible. There are there are some communities that have, <laughs> what can we there's some communities that have tried to incorporate it as like a seaweed into their local dishes that I don't think has gone over okay, great. Yeah. Um I've actually read that some communities in the Caribbean have used it to make shoes, like a gelatin type uh-huh. of um, you know, sandal. <sighs> We've tried to look at the um return on investment in terms of using it as a biofuel right right now that really needs to be um uh attempted further because the return on investment is not okay it's not, not sustainable there yet. um hmm. but you know there are some places that are selling it as fertilizer which makes sense it is a great fertilizer uh, it has the nitrogen and phosphorus because that's what it absorbs yeah. so yeah. it has everything it needs hmm. to be a great fertilizer but the problem is, is the capacity, the amount, the volume that we're getting. So, of course, you can 
you know, pick up a barrel of it and say this here, I'm going to sell this, but how much fertilizer does someone really need or how much can, how much uh, seaweed yeah. can we really sell? <laughs> well, let me ask you, uh, see if you can, uh, this is a hard question, uh, but uh, take a stretch of shoreline, say along a mile of beach where there is a, what is in the Caribbean, a fairly typical inundation of sargasm on the shoreline. Mm-hmm. How many tons of it would there be in a mile or in whatever unit of measure? Do you have a sense, can you give our listeners a sense of how much stuff there is? Um, I really can't because there, like you said, sometimes yeah. it will wash ashore and it'll be a foot thick and sometimes there's places where it's five feet thick. And so we're, we're talking really? like, yes. Let's pause and think about it. Five <laughs> feet thick right. of this seaweed. And it's this yeah. orangey stuff. It begins to rot. So you can imagine for a resort operator mm-hmm. that has pristine beaches, and that's what people come down to the Caribbean to do. Mm-hmm. And their resort area is inundated with the. It's game over. You know, yeah. people don't come as soon as the word is out. Right. And because it is. It, it, the, the capacity to people are spending millions of dollars to sort of scrape it, but where the hell do you put it? Uh, it the, smells when it decomposes. It's right. actually a health hazard. Yeah, uh, it can cause respiratory issues. It corrodes buildings. It corrodes any type of piping you have. Um, in the Caribbean, they're having to throw out resort televisions almost on a monthly basis because it gets what? into the hotel rooms and actually corrodes the um, all of the wiring for the TVs. Really? Water drains are corroding. They're black in a lot of, like, off of Antigua, um, in Belize. So it's an infrastructural issue. It's a wow. tourism issue. It's a health hazard uh, it's unsightly, and like you said, word does spread. And actually, um, resorts now have unfortunately had to shut down sometimes in the Caribbean for months during their busiest season, which would be around summertime. Yeah, right. Um, and they actually shut down, and they have to turn away, you know, thousands of of people who already had a yeah. um, a you know reservation there. So. It's it's a growing issue, but I'm working hard to to really spread the word on how important case study locations are. Right. That really needs to be more incorporated into the talk that let's be be realistic, this is a almost decade old issue for the Caribbean. And so it is in it's still in the pioneering stages. Mm-hmm. Um and and municipalities need to be willing to put forth the funds for case study right. research and development. Yeah. You That's, can't, I mean, the point I think you're making is quite right. That sort of some generic understanding of the issue and, and you know, that it, boy, it's bad and all that is not how this can be attacked. Like you say, as much as we would love to. Uh, reduce the nutrient load that's coming out of the Amazon, that requires an incredibly sophisticated upland management system of control that simply does not exist. No offense to the Brazilians, it doesn't. Uh, And the water temperature issue is not something you can turn off. The the dissolved carbon levels at ocean acidification, which contributes to the growth of the sub, cannot be suddenly turned off. Mm -hmm. So it's all about how do you respond to this in the particular location where you are. Yeah. Um, What an an interesting job as a biologist. So when you were at A&M at Galveston, were you a marine sciences major and a marine biology major? No, no. (laughs) What's your background? Yeah, so I have a bachelor's of science 
Science in Maritime Public Policy. Okay. And then I have a minor in Ocean and Coastal Resources and okay. a minor in Geology. So did you ever think you were going to become the sargasm lady? <laughs> um, I, I did one day after leaving a classroom where our professor told us how big of an issue it was and I had never even realized. Yeah. And I kind of was the only person like truly understanding someone's got to get on this. And so I guess that person was me. So, uh, yeah, but it's, I think one main, uh, point that I really want to, um, you know, hit home with is that we really need to be starting to interject in, in a very bold way, um, sargassum mitigation strategies, strategies into our coastal management and resiliency plans. It cannot be a factor that's, um, not planned for because we already know the yeah. the forecast and um, it's it's starting to be recurring and and it's only going to go up from here so mm-hmm. I, I would really like to spread the word on implementing it into resiliency and climate change resiliency and coastal management plans it's a key factor that needs to be in there absolutely should be considered as I say if we don't do it reality is a persistent teacher and it will beat us over the head until we get smarter about it so mm-hmm. it's great to see folks who are uh, taking the initiative trying to raise the awareness trying to take on this really interesting problem, which is a truly a function of our changing uh, environment. Uh, however you want to describe it, it's climate change. It's tied to that and land management practices. It's a real thing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Maria McBride, uh, project management and sargasm specialist with Coastal Systems International. What a treat to run into you at the FSBPA meeting. Uh, and uh, I'm so happy we had a chance to catch you before you had to Get, uh, get out of town. Thank you, Mariah, uh, for being on the American Shoreline Thank Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Sail to build the hotels 
Yeah.